Today's guest is horror, suspense, science fiction author, creator of the Try Not to Die series, former athlete in both the worlds of combat sports and Ivy League football, as well as the host of the Vicious Whispers podcast. I am thankful to be able to welcome Mark Tullius. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I appreciate this. Mark, you ready to put some lipstick on this pig, man? Oh, yeah, let's do it. They say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm the number one fan. We all go a little mad sometimes. God, it knows I'm here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Sports show is Billy Graves. So, Mark, I bought a digital copy of your book, Twisted Reunion. Okay, it's, it's my kind of reading, first of all. All right, bite sized stories with a, uh, a resolution in that bite, you know, an anthology of creepy tales. Um, I'm one story in, I'm only one story in, and, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the one title, I think each dawn I die. Yeah. That's taken from a man of war song. <laughs> I thought that sounded familiar. Each dawn I die. Yeah. I dig it, man. Uh, without spoiling anything, or I guess as little as possible, uh, this book's classified as an anthology 28, I think 28 total uh, stories. Um, is this a collection of stories with an overarching theme or they, uh, I guess, spoil it for me. Are they standalone tales or uh, is it like a, an overarching theme? No, this one. Yeah, they're all standalone. I think half of them had been previously published. I reworked them. And it was so hard reading those that they'd already been in little magazines or whatever. But 10 years later, you know, reworking them and uh, having to look at that. But the other half were brand new. Just put them all together. So yeah, that one and Untold Mayhem are all short stories. Uh, also, Somber Stroll and Morsels of Mayhem, just all short horror stories. Some of them a little bit more suspense, not all traditional horror, but all dark, all violent. You know, with with the newness of the uh, the, the Hulu release, Hellraiser. That that first one made me think of Hellraiser uh, in in some aspect. Maybe my imagination did it. The torture, the uh, I, I guess the the noir feel where even your protagonist isn't the most savory character. You know, mm-hmm. I I really liked it. It's uh, it's something I'm going to be able to get into. And you know, I'm not a big reader, honestly. I'm not a big reader at all. So the the bite sized stories. Uh, I bet the the first story was maybe uh, twenty pages. I'm just guessing. Yeah, probably if that. Yeah, they're not long. And you know what? I'm not a big reader either. And that's why, dude, I grew up on uh, like Stephen King short stories. I love Stephen King short stories. I'd read those on a plane. I didn't have attention span. I didn't want to, you know, read something long. But uh, yeah, short stories are nice and they're so much fun to read. But yeah, this one. Yeah, you're right. It's about 20 pages or so, Um, you know. And uh, but yeah, you could tell a nice story. In a short amount of time, because writing a novel, man, those things can take years. Uh, but yeah, short stories are are a lot of fun. Well, it's funny you say that because I talk to a lot of film, uh, well, screenwriters, filmmakers, uh, mostly independent. And I think everybody's pretty unanimous when it comes to getting into it, getting your foot in the door. And you're not just getting your foot in the door. I looked at your library. You have a lot of things that you've that you've done uh, a lot of just standalone books themselves. You have a lot, a large ca- uh, catalog. And so I, I shudder to even compare it to like somebody just starting, but that's kind of what you do. You, you, if you're making a film, start with a, a short film. Mm-hmm. You're, you're writing a book, start with a novella. D- don't just jump into the deep end of the pool, get in, don't burn yourself out. And uh, do you share that advice? 
Yeah, dude, I, I think that's awesome advice. And that is where I got my start because, man, selling a short story, I actually at this time, on my first ones, I think I gave away stories. You know, they were accepted and you got a free copy. But that was perfect because I was like, okay, someone's reading my work. Someone, someone's giving me some kind of positive feedback, you know, and then it, but so that's what I focused on. I was doing, I was doing novels that never got me anywhere. You know, I'll never rewrite them. They were garbage. They were just a learning experience, but the short stories, that's where I started getting, you know, momentum, confidence, and, uh, you know, and really because there were so many, you know, written over a hundred, it's just you're getting better at what you're doing. So I, I say, I say short stories and novels are a great way to, uh, to start out. And, and I really do think that you're reaching a different audience, um, an audience like myself, where maybe I, I don't want to chalk it up to lack of attention, but like, listen, the kids today don't have the large attention. They, they want instant gratification. Uh, you're not going to see them go into a flick that's going to be two and a half hours long. You know, that that's that's starting to go away. They want 90 minutes at most. And like you're you're giving them that bite sized story. And it, the first one takes off fast. It's it, in no time. He's kicking the girl out of the, the bedroom and shit's about to hit the fan. <laughs> really like that. But you have a couple of books I specifically wanted to, to tell our listeners about um, or at least hear your take on it. Very different from your larger library of horror short stories uh try not to die in the pandemic was created during the current pandemic with a co-author who at the time had COVID. assuming this was written during a time yeah. when it almost felt like if you got COVID, you were given a death sentence or at least that's what the word of mouth was right mm-hmm. and and he actually lost a couple friends to it and he had COVID pretty bad he got hit pretty bad by it so uh the fact that he wanted to write it uh, was pretty cool. You know, I, I gave it all to him. I'm like, Hey, you run with this. This is your story with that series. I tried to pull the story out of my co-author and make something cool. Um, but yeah, so John wanted to do that and it's, you know, loosely based on the pandemic. There happens to be a pandemic going on. It wasn't this pandemic. Um, but that story is almost like die hard on a ship. You know, that one's action and adventure. There's terrorists on board. Uh, so that one, the pandemic, title is a little you know maybe it's not the best title but that's what we went with uh but yeah that series is a lot of fun because in that one you know you choose what happens every couple of pages and if you choose wrong you die so there's over two dozen ways to die in each of these things well that's the um i guess the beauty of it sometimes you want to stick a pin in something and remember like what you were doing at the time everybody remembers what they were doing when you know 911 happened everybody remembers what they were doing when you know the the pandemic was you know first you know i, I guess it's like oh we'll be out of work for a couple of weeks but we'll be back soon well no it's it's now you know 3 years later and it's but you know where you were you were right. there you were writing with uh with your friend and now you have like something to pull out of that because that's not the most creative. It's not the most conducive to a creative flow. Like you can be interrupted very heavily by, you know, your, your creative juices might stop flowing when you think your life is at stake just by going to the grocery store. Right. Right. So how, and how, how were you able to do that? Keep those creative juices going. I, you know, fortunately, I was having John do a lot of it because, yeah, I was having a hard time because I was here, you know, with my family. So I had the kids home. So I'm dealing with their problems with the school, trying to make life, you know, fun, normal, everything else. But I was like, you know, I knew it was helping John to work on it. And then I was just like, OK, it doesn't matter what's going on. I, I want to create. I love to create. Like I, I would go nuts if I couldn't create. And so by, you know. And, and that's just such a great way to get rid of all this fear. You know, how much fear did we have? Cause you don't know what's going on or, or anger at stuff being shut down or whatever it is. So writing is just a way to examine that. And that's always been a great catharsis. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that's probably one of the things that saved me uh, during that time. And, and I was also at that time, I was, I think that's when I was writing my TBI book or finishing it up. Um, and I mentioned yeah. that. 
So that yeah, was, let's that was talk tough. about that. Let's talk about that. You played a lot of football and you were in the MMA game. Uh, that brings me to the second book uh, that I wanted to talk about specifically the, uh, the book TBI or CTE. What the hell is wrong with me? Um, I believe that was released in November of 2021. Yeah. 21. Yep. Yeah. Last, last year. Um, so, so tell me about that experience writing. That. Like, what, what, what kind of influences did you pull from? And what did you want to get out of it? And, and did you get the message across that you wanted to get? Well, first off, I, dude, I did not want to write it. I swore off nonfiction. My experience writing uh, Unlock in the Cage, where I went around the country to interview MMA fighters, that kind of, uh, it, it wasn't fun. It was like it was awesome. It was great getting back into MMA. It was great meeting all these fighters, becoming friends with all these guys, these coaches. Changed my life for sure, but it was also three years and writing nonfiction sucks. <laughs> Especially like I'd rather, you know, I'd rather write something fun where people are dying and all this other stuff. So I didn't want to write nonfiction again. I said I never would, but I started having a lot of friends uh, that I played football with at Brown uh, writing to me and telling me that they were in brain studies, that they were having all these issues. And these are guys that did not go on to destroy their brain after college like I did. Because I went on to try to box professionally with no amateur experience, trying to box professionally, moving to Vegas, getting destroyed by guys that were undefeated heavyweights. Uh, so I wrecked my brain there. In MMA, I was terrible, you know, losing record there. But I would just go and fight without any, you know, without much training, knowing I was probably going to lose. So I did a lot of damage to my brain and then motorcycle accidents, everything else. But um, I started writing it for my friends. I, I said, you know, I'm going to help these guys because I'm fine. You know, I still test high on brain score, you know, brain games like Lumosity. You know, nothing's wrong with me. Sure, I get a little bit angry. Uh, you know, I'll write everything off. I'll write off my cannabis addiction. I'll write off all this other stuff because I'm fine. But I'll help these guys. So I started looking into stuff. And then I decided, I was like, well, since I'm here, you know, I'm talking to these doctors. I'm, I'm looking at these different treatments. Let's do the testing too. And this whole time, my wife is also assuring me, I don't have any issues. I don't have any issues, but man, like we get the test results back and it's really sobering. It's like, okay, this explains why I have very little impulse control. This is why I could lose my shit and go from being super nice, peaceful, happy Mark into this fucking rage monster. That's scary. You know, that I could ruin, totally destroy my life in a matter of seconds by making the wrong move, you know? Um, it explained uh, my memory loss, dude. My memory is terrible. Like I'll have friends telling me like, dude, you were there, you know, and they'll be describing something crazy that I for sure would remember. And I'll say, no, that was someone else. And they'll show me a photo. I'm like, fuck, you know, I guess there I was. You are. Yeah. So, um, you know, but there was, there was just a lot of stuff. And it was when I started doing all the treatments, started getting better. That's when I realized like, oh shit, it had been bad. You know, I had been, in a bad depression, I had been super irritable. I had, cause the loss of them, you know, with, with all those things settling down, it's like, Oh my God, it's like, this is what life is supposed to be like. Like, I didn't even know that was possible. So the coolest thing with that book is just, it, it was sad. Cause part of it focused on my friend who uh, his brain damage uh, prevented him from pursuing uh, cancer treatment. And he ended up dying during the writing of the book. Uh, but he gave me, you know, a beautiful look into his family and how they handled his CTE and how they handled and how he handled death, you know. So um, it was really powerful. Um, we were able to, I discovered, you know, we were able to fix my mom's, well, I shouldn't say fix, but at least we corrected her sleep. She had only been getting like four hours of sleep a night for the last 10 years, headed towards dementia. Her sister already has advanced dementia, but doing only one of the treatments in the book, neuro, uh, neurofeedback. We got my mom's sleep right on, and now she no longer is testing for pre-dementia, you know? And so that was from doing just one treatment. So that alone is my big thing is like, okay, you know, I love uh, I love that it wasn't a depressing message. You know, it, it sucks that so many of us are having these issues. So many people aren't even aware about it. But more, there, more people are finding out and just knowing like, okay, there is hope. We can improve our brain. You know, before it was like, oh, if you're a if you're a boxer, you're going to end up with dementia, right? You're going to go down that slide. There's no coming back. 
But working with doctors like uh, Dr. Mark Gordon, who did my hormone regulation, I found him through Joe Rogan's uh, podcast. Like that was huge, just regulating my hormones and getting my testosterone where it was supposed to be. And um, just all these things that we can do uh, in order to improve our life. So now at 50, you know, I'm feeling awesome, dude. I'm, I'm feeling so much better. I still have struggles, but I think that's something, you know, and that's one of the things I cover in the book is like, yeah, this day to day, like, but that's for all of us. It doesn't matter what we're dealing with. Right. We got to, we all have our struggles, but you know, let's just get through today and then we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, but yeah, stay positive. Let's get through today. Let's get through today. And uh, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully it is a message of uh, hope. And uh, because yeah, I, I, I'm incredibly hopeful. I, I hit some bad depressions looking at it. Um, it, it was tough at times, but yeah, now I'm very hopeful. I know how much I improved. I know how much other people have improved. So yeah, definitely hopeful for the future. Well, you specifically said that you started to turn things around when uh, you were researching prior to writing the book, right? So what types of things, I mean, you, you, you gave us the, the rundown, how you helped, uh, I think you said it was your, your mother, right? With uh, she's no longer uh, pre-dementia. Um, what did you find in yourself that you were able to improve? Because sometimes you got to take take care of old number one. Yeah. So the first thing, one of the big things that they worked on was my sleep. I hadn't been getting quality sleep uh, for a very long time. I wasn't aware of that. Like my numbers of sleep, the hours of sleep I was getting were good, but I wasn't going into deep sleep. And that is where you are uh, releasing growth hormone. You're getting rid of all the waste, which is tied to Alzheimer's and everything else. And so they, that was one of the first things that they worked on with neurofeedback. And so they are raising, you know, uh, certain brain waves were too low. So I'll sit in a room and they're working on raising those brain waves. And it was a very simple thing. You just sit in a room, they have a thing, electrode on your head and you're watching a screen, you know, just very passive. I had to do a lot of those sessions. My mom only needed 30, I think. I had 100 and I could use, I could still use more because we're able to see like, okay, this is, you know, here's where you're at. We could probably get it even higher, but you know, you're cool right now. So let's not even bother with it. Uh, the other thing was the hormone regulation that, that my testosterone was so low, all my other horm hormones were screwed up. So once I got that going, that was great. Um, I did chiropractic, uh, for my Atlas and Axis at the very top. Those were with concussions, especially football players, boxers, there can be some major rotation there. So if you, if you think of it like, okay, there's a kink there, like a water hose, not all the information is getting up and down, you know, let's say it's 95% or 90%. And then now it's like, oh shit, I'm balanced. So not only did it help with my overall physical balance and I no longer had like ribs going out, my left leg was no longer shorter than it always had been. Um, but just, you know, my brain function is improved. And uh, what was the other thing, man? Uh, but my cognitive scores, that was one of the nice things too. We did cognitive testing at the very start and at the end, and my scores went up like crazy, even though I wasn't doing anything. It was just one of the side effects of my brain being in a healthier place, less inflammation, and just overall just doing so much better. So, um, yeah, that helped a ton. Well, you know, you've been brutally honest, uh, and that's something I find re refreshing about your podcast, uh, uh, Vicious Whispers. I listened to uh, a few of the episodes yesterday, just in preparation for today. And uh, I mean, again, brutal honesty, br brutal truthfulness, uh, because honesty and truthfulness are not, uh, they're synonymous, but they don't mean exactly the same thing. You can be honest about things that people ask you. Being truthful is bringing things out of yourself and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to lay this all out. And you told a story about, um, and you actually, you know, got pretty emotional about it. And I can tell that you're, you're proud of your, I, I guess your progress. And it kind of beats you up when there might be a hiccup. Yeah, that, that was tough. I, um, yeah. Cause I, I, I feel like I'm doing awesome. You know, I, I spend so much of my time working on that. Like, I know I have to do yoga. I know I have to breathe, do my breathing exercises. I know I have to do all this stuff. Otherwise, like at the start of the school year, when my kids went back to school, the first two weeks of me driving them, I was furious. I was angry. I was getting to that road rage place I hit last week. So 
Um, you know, it, so it was, it was definitely, it was definitely frustrating, but being able to share that, being able to talk about it, not only with my wife and my family, but then sharing that video with this concussion group, like that helped a lot of people in the group. And now I made all these other friends. And now I just interviewed a guy on there who I'll probably be friends with forever and, you know, making all these connections. And so um, it just was a reminder of the importance of that too. Like, okay, yeah, let's be, and the guy I had on my podcast, he was another, you know, he played um, linebacker, stud linebacker at Oregon State, huge guy. It's like, okay, I think that's awesome. You know, having guys like that that can show their vulnerability. I, I And that's how I kind of allow myself to do it too. It's like, okay, you know what? I'm at a point where I don't care what people think. Like, dude, yeah, I, I cried in the video. I cut I cut a minute of the, of the video you saw. I cut the minute out where I was crying. But I was like, well, I'll leave enough so people know I was crying. I'm not ashamed I was crying. Uh, I just don't want them to sit through a minute of me fucking trying to get my shit together because I was thinking about my kids and, you know, whatever else and wanting to be a good role model for them. So, but yeah, I think it's all about, uh, you know, fuck, we, we weren't taught or I wasn't taught to share emotions Men were supposed to be angry, and that's what you can show. And yeah. you know, yeah, and and that, you can't show any kind of any kind of emotion because that that makes you a beta male, and you don't yeah. want to be a beta, right? Yeah, it's all alpha all the way. But you know that that is that's something that people hear, and they get some sort of influence from, and they think you know if, if this guy can show it, I can show it even if I'm only showing it to myself later on, I, you know, pace by pace, I can show it to somebody else later on. Yeah. It's, it's a level of comfortability. So it's a good thing. And you know, that, that progress, uh, don't ever let the, the, the hiccups, um, you know, retract from the, the progress because you're now 150 yards, you know, uh, across the way where you were just, crawling to get where you needed to go right so I mean, th- th- it's not something to mess with and people can exercise their bodies all day long you, you can go down to gold's gym be hanging and banging with the the bodybuilders and you're gonna you're gonna look great but unless you're you're mentally uh capable of just making it through your day making it home from that drive then you know a, a lot of a lot of built bodybuilders get put into a, a coffin you know just because that's all they have you know you can't just survive on the the physical you have to take care of the mental not not to sound like a marshawn lynch take care of your mentals right but you know speaking of football you got a a perfect example right now antonio brown is showing his ass on social media and a lot of people are drawing that back to that um I can't remember the the linebacker from the Bengals that laid him out in that game between the Bengals and, and Steelers. I believe it was a playoff game of, of maybe Vontez Perfect laid a a crazy hit, dirty hit on Antonio Brown. And a lot of people think he hasn't been the same since. And he's kind of had some good moments, some bad moments. Right now, he seems like he's down. He's he's out there making light of. Uh, Tom Brady's divorce, you know, the throwing cartoons out there that show Tom Brady leaving the house with, you know, the, the wife waving at him. And in the window, you see Antonio sitting in the chair. So just seeing his behavior, do you, I'm, I'm not asking you to be an expert, but do you think that, that could be related? I would, I would guess, I would guess any inappropriate decision-making is like, that's one of the symptoms. Like that's, that's probably, um, and you never know when it's going to get really bad. Uh, you know, the the guy I just talked to, it, it took a, a certain amount of stress. His wife went into the hospital for 17 days, and that stressor was what kicked off this terrible cascade of symptoms. So, you know, his wasn't like building up over a long time. It was there. It built up. He wasn't aware of it until this stressor came, you know, for Antonio Brown, whether it was an, a big hit that really set it off or, you know, some other stressor that's probably i would guess that's what it is any i'm guessing for sure like the percentage of nfl players with ct has got to be incredibly high you know it's uh, and especially guys that played since pop warner um you know the younger you start the more likely they're going to have cte just those and, and it's not even the big concussions either you know and that's that's what i have so many friends 
talk about that, that have their kids in Pop Warner. They're like, oh, well, you know, we just watch out for the concussions and blah, blah, blah. I was like, dude, it's a repetitive. It's a repetitive. That's what they're finding. You know, it doesn't have to be a concussion. But just like, uh, you know, there's so many people I know that played soccer in college. And, you know, uh, females especially playing soccer, you know, from a young age all the way through college, and they've headed the ball so many times. They may never have had a real concussion. They've never been knocked unconscious. So in their mind, they would never put the two together. It was like, no, you just destroyed your brain from hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. Uh, sorry to get off the football question. I- no, no, that that's leading me into where I was going to go because not only Antonio Brown, somebody I worry about is this, uh, I don't remember his name, but he's that 17-year-old kid that the UFC just signed. Oh, yeah. He- He's been through, I think it was the Dana White Contender Series, and he's 17 years old, and he just won the tournament. He looks, first of all, like he's been through uh, a Jeremy Horn-level <laughs> number of fights. And this kid is uh, tough as all get out. He looks like he could just beat the shit out of anybody, including me. Mm-hmm. But 17 years old, that's only three years older than where you personally suggest that kids – maybe start pop Warner football. You right. say 14, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The concussion legacy foundation, they, they put out a study pretty recently saying, yeah, before 14 um, is like, I don't know. I don't know if it's great to play at any age, but yeah, definitely like 14, I think is the age where it's a lot safer to start. So he, I'm assuming he probably did a lot of stuff prior to that. Um, and it's, the good thing is things are improving overall. You know, I, I think with training, like with football, you know, not having practice, you know, uh, contact drills every single day in practice, you know, like we used to, like in college, like you're going head to head every single day. They no longer yeah. do that. And they, they, they minimize that. So that is awesome. Same thing with MMA guys aren't sparring as often, or they, they shouldn't be, if they have a good coach, if they have a good manager, you know, I, I went up to AKA where they were notorious for just beating the shit out of each other before. But even when I went and saw them, you know, they'd already toned that down a lot. So I think guys are getting smarter, but I do worry about that because, yeah, you see all these young kids, you know, young kids are watching the UFC and they see the potential to make money and be a superstar and get started early. And, and dude, I love jujitsu and getting my kids into jujitsu. But then you also wonder like, well, what's the next step? Are they going to now want to go kickboxing? Are they now going to want to go fight? You know, do what should I worry about their brain? My daughter just about is about to start wrestling as a freshman. Um, and I know like even that, you know, there's the chance of for sure of concussions and messing up her brain a little bit, but we will be on it. We will be careful. We'll be monitoring her. And we already know if something does happen, then we can take the steps to fix it, to, to fine tune it. And, and she's even done neurofeedback before too for an issue in the past. So I was like, okay, I feel I feel comfortable with that. As long as we're smart, you know, then it should be okay. Proactive versus reactive, and I think that's where uh, I think that's kind of where we are in the in the studies. Though we're we're now reacting to CTE in, instead of being proactive, and that's I guess there there's a there's an old adage that boxing even though you have the big 16 ounce gloves uh, is more dangerous to a fighter than mixed martial arts, because you're taking those repetitive hits mm-hmm. versus the, the one flush knockout or the one or two flush knockouts. But, you know, I don't think we have enough data on that to really know for sure. Um, do I think it's probably safer? Yes. But I mean, that it's like saying, you know, throat cancer is safer than lung cancer. It's, it's still a cancer that can take you right out. So you having done the sociological study on mixed martial arts fighters, have you found anything over now the few decades that we've had a commercial or, you know, UFC fighting here in the States? I know Japan's had it for much longer. Brazil's had it for much longer. Um, I was going to bring up the, the shoot box wars there down in Brazil with those guys, Anderson Silva and uh, Jose Pelé-Landi. Uh, those guys are notorious for their crazy gym wars. You can't tell me that, you know, you're coming out scot-free when we've seen what boxing has done for decades now. 
Mm-hmm. You, you can't tell me that we're, and I think we're almost probably in that, in that realm of time where the effects are going to start showing Vanderlei Silva already sounds like he's chewing bubble gum as he talks. So don't, you know, don't tell me that MMA is safe. I know it's not, there's no traumatic head injury that's going to be safe yet. We do it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's so hard because, I struggle with that because I, I I watch it sometimes. Uh, my wife would love to watch it all the time. I I fucking love it, Mark. I love it. Yeah, and it's uh, you know, and it's like I I'm rooting for my buddy to knock out the other guy, but at the same time, I don't want that guy to get hurt, and so I definitely struggle with it. Uh, as far as which one is safer, dude, I had I probably did the worst damage to my brain when I was boxing. I had I had. Uh, some really bad concussions. One time where I had double vision for two weeks. Um, that one was bad. I had some really bad concussions, knocked out. That's where I was slurring my words a lot. I was reversing my words. So I would know what I wanted to say, and I would say it backwards. And so that bothered me. That concerned me. But honestly, the only reason I even left it was because I knew I wasn't going to be any good. I got knocked out, and I was two and three. So I was like, okay, I'll try, I'll try the cage again. But there... How many times, you know, maybe the maybe each shot isn't as bad. Maybe you're maybe these guys aren't taking as much punishment with the gloves, but what is it doing to the brain to get slammed, picked up and slammed? You know, I got slammed on my back three times in one fight. From, Choked from, unconscious. Yeah. Times. Yeah. And you know, kicks to the face and everything else. So yeah, 100 percent it is not safe. A lot of fighters I've talked to are just kind of like, and Dude, I didn't care. You probably didn't care, you know, knowing that it, it might affect you. So, no. but it is nice. I had a talk with someone recently and I was telling her she's been in the UFC for a while. And I was telling her how much it, I improved and that there was hope. And when she's done fighting, what she could do. And man, that made her day because she was just thinking like, you know, fucked, you know, whatever, whatever happens, it happens. And that's just the price I have to pay. But it's like, okay. We, we, we can, you know, we can hopefully fix it up because these, yeah, a lot of damage is going to show when I was doing my interviews, I was listening for brain damage. I, I didn't know much about it. I hadn't really started looking into it. The only reason I started looking was because my friend warned me about sparring with all these guys. He's like, dude, he's like, you're getting the shit kicked out of you by guys that are half your age and, you know, three times as skilled. Why are you sparring with them? And there was no reason for me to be doing that except for my ego. But um, and supposedly that's how you get better. You you jump in with yeah. you know sharks and eventually you learn how to swim, right? Yeah, but dude, I was thinking about taking a fight at I, I was probably around forty three or forty four, but absolutely nothing to gain by it. Maybe five hundred dollars, like so it wasn't for the money. And that's what then that's when I realized like okay, I was like I still got this ego problem, uh, you know, wanting wanting to fight to prove that I'm you know tough, cool, whatever else. Um, but instead, I was just jacking up my brain even that much more. Yeah, taking I took on a bunch of concussions uh, on those trips. I should have. And did, was that ever an issue when you were playing uh, football in an early age? I didn't play until freshman year in high school. Luckily, I wanted to play early, but man, but that's where like I started. I was I was small. I remember just getting run over all the time. I probably had quite a few concussions playing football. Um, I forget how many times I was knocked unconscious in football. I think it was like probably three or four there and then some more and fighting. Um, but yeah, I, I do remember, you know, having the bell rung so many times and, and so many minor concussions, you know, that there's just, you know, getting your bell rung now, yeah. we know, okay, that's a concussion, <laughs> you know? So that's, that's well, not- you know, it, it's, it's wild because, if you do get knocked unconscious, at least you're coming out. Somebody's going to look at you and you're not going to be in the next play. You you get your bell rung, you're up and you're going to the next play, right? And you're back in there and you're not coming out and you're furthering the damage. I remember some of the drills we did. Now I'm 40. So this would have been in probably 97, 96, my freshman year. Uh, we have some defensive back drills. Okay. And basically you're head to head with your, um, with your teammate, or I guess your opponent in this case, and you're going to backpedal about five yards each, putting you 10 yards apart. You 
cut the corner, you run around the cone, and then you just meet head on. There was nothing good that could have come out of that. And I'll remember, I'll, I'll always remember it. His name was Joey Keene. He was uh, a senior when I, either a senior or a junior when I was a freshman, twice as big, twice as wide, probably not as, not twice as fast because I was fast. But um, when we met in that hole, like he wasn't going backwards. I was going backwards and I went down. Okay. And I remember thinking I've never been hit this hard in my life, but what did I have to do? I had to get up get in the back of the line and wait till it came right back around. And that's just kind of how it was. It's stupid, but you don't stand in front of your buddy and just headbutt each other, you know, yeah. 10 times in a row and expect for nothing wrong to, to happen. And yeah. that's what we did. That's what we were doing. So I'm glad there are your know, padless practices now, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it any better though. When that one big hit happens and you see things, like Antonio Brown or, you know, some of these punch drunk fighters that we have uh, just trying to make it through life. Now it's sad to see, but I mean, you're, you're walking proof that we have to take care of our our mental state, you know, physically our brains, our physical brains. We have to take care of it. Not only mental, like you have to take care of yourself mentally, but you have to take physical care of your brain because your skull is not one of those padded helmets. It's it's as like one crack in that thing, and that is literally the definition of a concussion. Yeah, yeah. And this support group I just joined, one thing it helped me see too and to think about was all these other people that have brain injuries from whether it's a car accident or domestic abuse or simply just fell and hit their head. So many things that you just don't even think about. Like I I always think sports when I think traumatic brain injuries and CTE, but yeah, there's so many people that are just walking around with it that they have no idea. They forgot that they had a car accident 20 years ago that started this process. And, you know, but now they're dealing with these symptoms. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's crazy. The brain is uh, very interesting for sure. Well, let's talk a little bit about the kind of crazy that we do like. <laughs> and I'm talking about dark fiction, dark, gritty fiction. But you, you crazy bastard. Use it as a catharsis. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that process, your writing process, and how, I guess, being in your your peaks and valleys kind of varies that writing. Yeah, thanks. That's an awesome question. Sometimes it could be overwhelming because I honestly have, I'm not exaggeration. I looked the other day as like 24 books and then several, a lot of short stories that are still to come. Um, and, and luckily lots of those are in the try not to die series. And so other authors are helping me. So, but I'm always struggling like, okay, what do I write? What do I feel like, um, certain days today I was working on death fest, trying to die at death fest. And I was working on writing a song with my daughter that goes along with the book. And it was just so much fun. I was like, they were homesick today. So that's what we're working on. Uh, a couple of days ago, I had to work on trying not to die in the wild west. You know, we're just finishing up that one. But as far as, my personal stuff and the catharsis, like in Twisted Reunion, you'll read, I think there's a, oh, it might not be in there, but I have, I have several stories that deal with some form of brain damage, some kind of memory loss, you know? So that's me dealing with how shitty it feels like to introduce myself to someone that kind of laughs about it because they've met me several times and I should know who they are, but you know, my memory's gone. So, you know, that helps with that. Uh, dealing, I mean, the fear of death, dude, I think, I think that's probably the biggest thing. And that's why I write dark stuff. I think we all struggle with the fear of death, whether we admit that to ourselves or not, that's what it boils down to. So me writing about dying, me writing about killing me, writing, you know, dealing with loss, the, the thought of losing my kids, you know, so just going to those places that most people don't want to go. Most people will will shut it down and they'll look at their phone because fuck, I'm not thinking about that. Right. I don't think about dying. I don't want to think about my kid dying. So, you know, I think I've had, man, I've, and who I've always wondered, okay, where do these dark thoughts come from? I've had them most of my life, man. I remember being in church, like at a very young age, like at, I don't know, five or six. And I'm thinking about shooting down the different, light fixtures and seeing who they're going to crush 
<laughs> you know, and I only got four bullets, so I got to choose wisely. You know, so that'd be a good uh, a good scene. That that's really how the Exorcist should have should have <laughs> opened up. That would have been cool. Um, so yeah, so a lot of it is you know just dealing with whatever. And I, I also have a lot of religious stuff. Uh, religion was definitely a big one for me. So I have Ain't No Messiah that deals with the second coming of Christ. And this guy doesn't think he's very bright. He's perverted. But his dad is also telling him he's a second coming of Christ. You know, and then 25 Perfect Days is about uh, a type of church coming and mixing with the government and taking over the world and just being terrible. So I, uh, you know, whatever, whatever I struggle with, whatever has been an issue for me, that's probably going to find itself, you know, it's way into my writing somewhere. Yeah, no doubt. Well, draw me a picture, like put me in your writing space, uh, theoretically. Uh, what's that What's that look like and what's that sound like? And I'm, I, I especially want to gravitate towards the uh, the horror fiction. As far as like what's going on in my head or how I physically set up for it? Your physical setup, What do you have music? Do you have okay. uh, any sounds on the outside? Some people want to hear birds chirping. Some people want to hear uh, Pantera. You know, just I guess uh, paint that picture for me if you would. Awesome. Yeah. So I'd say everything is a little bit different. Like for Brightside, I was lis- listening to Machine Head. I knew what song it starts with. I use the epigraph from Davidian. I was like, it has a shotgun. It has a shotgun blast. I was like, it's about freedom. So I'm listening to that song a lot for that. That influenced that. Um, 25 Perfect Days was more Slipknot related. Then I hit a phase where I just couldn't have music on because I, I realized it was kind of affecting what I was writing. So I would have to use... Um, I listen to Rammstein a lot, their uh, clavier, which is just uh, piano. And so that's perfect because it's still, I never thought I would want to listen to classical music, but for whatever reason, like that was working for me for a while. So sometimes it's music when I'm listening, right, like right now I'm working on Death Fest, then, and today was pirate metal. So I was listening to Ailstorm and trying to get ideas for that. So sometimes the music definitely influences me. As far as where I write, I write everywhere, man, because I take my pen and paper with me everywhere I go. So if I'm going to go take the kids to school and I got to park for five minutes, I never know where I'm going to get time. And so, I, yeah, even every day when I take go pick up my kid from school, I'll get there 10 minutes early with my paper. I'll edit. I'll write. Uh, and that's just how I create because I know I, my time is very limited. But a lot of time I'm just sitting in my recliner two cats on my lap <laughs> makes it a little awkward at times. Other well, times your I environment can't... is going to influence you as well. So you have to be able to capture that. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. And sometimes like when I'm, I also use the sauna, that thing gets super hot. That works out great. If I'm writing that kind of scene, like in death fest, they're out in a, a field, like a cornfield and it's hot as hell. So that is awesome to be able to kind of be sweating and kind of think about it and like, okay, what's my breath like right now? And, doing that sort of things but yeah i just try to i just see the movie in my head i just i see it as a movie and i just try to capture it you know put it down on the computer well because luckily you know your, your ups we're not even luck because of the things that you've been doing uh, the ups are longer and the downs are just fleeting do you prefer uh novels or short stories because i almost feel like writing for catharsis can I guess one might lose his or her motivation once that feeling of therapy is done for the moment. Like I was just super pissed off because of whatever happened. I wrote about it for a little while. It was therapeutic, but now I've lost it because I feel better. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And that would be, that would be hard to stick on something if I felt like I was already done with it, if I was done exploring that. And that may have happened before with novels that I've stopped because yeah, once you explore it and you don't really need to do it, because I, I write for myself. I know some people say, well, you should write for a reader. Like, no, I write for myself. Like I need to enjoy the story. That's and if because- you happen to like it, cool. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that is how that is. But yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, damn, I already forgot the question. <laughs> well, no, just, uh, I guess how it relates to, to, to novels versus short stories. Oh, um, right. Whether writing for catharsis is probably more geared towards short stories because those feelings, or at least the negative feelings, 
uh, are more fleeting than the ups. You know, you're going to have days of ups and then maybe one down where it's time to really get in that writing space. Yeah. You know what? And I think that is, makes a lot of sense right now. I haven't had to, because I could bounce around. It's been nice. If I were in a funk, if I was in a dark place, I probably would, I know exactly where I would go to. Um, I have, it's called our fucked up little family and it is three different characters but it's told in all short stories. So I'm changing the point of view. One is a priest, one is a hitman, and one is this brutal killer that has looked like uh, like six five, just jacked. Tat- every inch of his body is tattooed to look like a machine. Uh, he has fangs, he has titanium teeth, and it, it's nasty. So uh, when I need to go dark, like that thing is waiting for me. I haven't written his parts yet because I've been a little intimidated. This is my first shot at extreme horror. It's definitely pushing the issue, like boundaries. So that is when I'm in that kind of place. But in the meantime, I'm having fun. I'm doing the try not to die. It, it's it's graphic. It's disgusting at points. But it's overall, it's like way, you know, it could be young adult. So uh, way tamer. So you talked about, you know, having to take your, you know, your, your pen and paper everywhere you go, because that's your lifeline. You want to capture the environment around you. Like, how do you balance your time? You've got a lot on your plate. So organization has to be at the top of your priority list. I think that one thing that my wife really helped me with was uh, telling me to make a list. So that would let me see all my big plans, those 24 other books, everything else goes on this list over there. I can leave it over there. I don't even need to look at that. It's like, okay, this is for like the next month. I want to get this stuff done. Here's mine for the week. It's like, okay, what are the three things I could try to do today? You know, I'll try to, I'm going to work on DeathFest. I'm going to do a little bit of marketing and then I'm going to do a podcast, you know? So it's really thinking about what is important. It's like, okay, I know Thursdays are podcasts, Fridays are newsletters, plus, you know, what can I fit in? So being okay with, you know, working when I can. And another big thing I had to do, I actually had to do hypnosis for this, was to prioritize my working out, the yoga and the weightlifting in the morning. Because I felt so guilty about it. I felt like I was wasting time. You know, I just dropped the kids off at school. I have 24 books to write. I need to go home and work on them. You know, wait, working out, yoga, that's a waste of time. So I actually had to do yoga. I, I had to do hypnosis to, to get that in there. Be like, okay. This is me being productive because when I do work out, I'm going to be in a better mood. I'm going to be in a flow state. And when I get home, I'm going to already know what I'm going to write. So that wasn't easy. But then after I kept doing it, it's like, no, now, now I know it's like, okay, yeah, I do need to do that. I'm being productive, you know, less writing time, but I'll squeeze it in somewhere else. So it's all on, uh, I think what's important to you, man, like writing is important to me. I, I tell myself it doesn't matter if I write one more book because I'm just going to die, right? We're all just going to die anyhow. So who cares if I write one more or 20 more or 40? I'm not going to be immortal. doesn't matter. But it is important because I really enjoy it. I'm doing it with friends. I want them to have their books out too. I think it's badass. I want to create something cool for my kids. We're, we're making a board game out of the try not to die. Like, I do. I'm just trying to have fun, man. So, um, you know, sometimes... You know- Horror board games kind of kick ass, man. They do. You can you put something down like that. Uh, I'll be your first purchase because yeah, I, awesome. I've got a I've got a stack of uh, like survival horror board games that I fucking love. All right, so I'm I'm on board with that. that but, that's awesome. so. Tell me this: what kind of advice could you give for a writer who just doesn't know how to get started? I think the biggest thing is probably believing in yourself, believing that you could do it. All my life, I've struggled with thinking I'm a fucking idiot. Like that's been my inner voice. Doesn't matter that I went to Ivy League school or or score high in tests or whatever. Like I'm a fucking idiot. So that was that was what I really had to overcome. So it's just believing that man, we all can tell a story. We and, and writing is no different than talking to your buddy. The best advice I got from my writing mentor, Tom Spanbauer, was. This story should sound like you are sitting with an old friend you haven't seen like in 20 years, but after you've had a couple of drinks or after you've you smoked a joint. Like, how would you talk to them? How would you tell this story? We want it to be to sound like, you know, someone's just telling you a story. So um, 
Put as much of yourself into it as possible. Don't worry about family members reading it and thinking it's about them or friends reading it or whatever else, um, you know, and, and just go for it. Because what do you have to lose? And especially if you're looking at it like it is going to be time well spent, whether I make a million dollars or never see a penny or whatever. I just did something that was good for me and I know someone else may benefit benefit from it as well. So, you know, I think thinking about it, not only for yourself, but like you can give someone and maybe you think, oh, well, what I have to write isn't important, but maybe it's just a little escape. Maybe it's just showing someone like, oh, shit, I think like that, too. Or I had felt that before, too. So I think thinking sometimes it's hard to put ourselves first and, and our wants first. And we say is not that important. But if we think about like, oh, no, I do have something good that someone else may benefit from. And then it's like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to write this for other people. So in the episode bio or episode description, we're going to have a link where you can find all of Mark Tullius's work. Mark, go ahead and tell us. I mean, I, I kind of pitched, you know, because I'm, I'm a self-serving bastard. Um, I, I pitched the the projects that I knew about. Can you tell the listeners about just something that you want to get out there, something that you've got going on right now that you want uh, listeners to know about? Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. You covered so much, um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's hard because I feel like I do have a lot going on. But I'd say the big one right now is try not to die just because I have five to six books coming out in the next year, really spending so much time when I started it. I was thinking it was kind of like a throwaway little thing. I wasn't that excited about it, but now I was like, no. Uh, so yeah, we have the Wild West coming up. We had Death Fest coming up. And one I'm really excited about, Duncan Ralston, the author of Womb. His book, Womb, is doing incredible extreme horror. Uh, he also has a really cool trilogy called Ghostland. He is about to release Try Not to Die in Ghostland. So he took his world and put it into my Try Not to Die format, which is super cool. So that's awesome. That's going to be coming out pretty soon. So I hope people look for that. And if you like some free stories, check out my stuff. I believe on my website, marktulius.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. Uh, that will get you some free stories. And I'm always happy to hand out more once you're on that newsletter. And excerpts on just about every episode of your podcast. Am I right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I didn't realize that at first, but that's super cool that uh, Amazon has that now too. Yeah, no doubt. Mark, I appreciate your time very much. I thank you for joining me today on Slasher Sports Cinema. Dude, this was awesome. I couldn't ask for a better uh, better conversation, dude. Thank you so much. Neither could I, man. You're welcome back anytime, especially if we do some kind of roundtables, uh, new projects coming out. You're, you've got an open invite, my man. Awesome, dude. I appreciate it. I'm going to have you on as well. That's wait. a fact. I can't wait, man. So guys, be sure to like, subscribe, share this episode on your social feeds. And I do want to remind you to find us on slashersports.com on Twitter and TikTok at slasher sports on Instagram at slasher sports media, everything in sports and entertainment from college football to horror flicks. Now go forth and may you drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children.